Hey guys, if you could come grab a seat if you're outside, come on in. I feel very close, Muzz. <laughs> I'm just going to preach to you the whole morning. Actually, when we uh, graduated from Pastors College, the, the founder of Southern Grace, CJ Mahaney, gathered all the men up the front in a, like a semicircle, like this close, and we all had to stand, and he preached at us for like 15 minutes, looking us in the eye. It was, it was very intense, but it was very cool as well. Well, welcome. If you're new and visiting, um, each week we preach through the Bible. Um, we believe it's God's Word. Um, it's not just writings by men, uh, but it is writings by men as well. It's God's Word and man's Word, um, and it's true. Um, it's the foundation of our church. It's the foundation of our hope. And so we're in this book called Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one from at the back, um, or you can look on the screen and it'll be there. Now, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago to a church, you know, probably about the same size as us, maybe meeting in a home or a slightly larger home. Um, and he wrote, he planted the church and he wrote to them to encourage them to continue living in their Christian faith. And we've been through nearly the first half of the book and we're actually finishing Ephesians chapter 3 today, which kind of rounds out Ephesians like the first section. And so that's going to be great. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And we're picking up the prayer that he started in verse 1 and then got sidetracked through verses 1 through 13 and now he's coming back to it to actually complete the prayer. And so if you've ever been sidetracked in prayer, you know, you get distracted, well, Paul's with you. He knows what it's like. Although his sidetracks are probably a little bit more in godly than ours. <laughs> like writing the Bible. All right. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This is God's word. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this season, as we've mentioned many times already today, this Christmas season, we, we're in the, the, what we call the silly season. I think we name it right because we do crazy things. You know, we, we go harder than we go from you know, January through November and we pack it all into one month. All the gift buying we do, all the birthdays almost in a month, we, all the food we could do in a month, we get it all done in a month and then we collapse into the New Year's, you know, Boxing Day break and every year we do the same thing over and over again. And as we come along to Christmas, you, you're faced, you know, hopefully with this problem of people asking you, what do you want? You know, what do you need this Christmas? 
And my initial response is, well, what's your budget? You know, because <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that we could answer that question with. And what do you want uh, for Christmas? And sometimes it's really hard to think of things. He's like, oh, well, I want like a new car, but it's probably not going to happen this Christmas. And, you know, and you start going through the list and thinking about, oh, this would really make me happy or this would, you know. I've got this need, and maybe I'll just, rather than paying for it my own money, I'll get someone to supply a need. It's not very exciting, but, you know, now that you're older, it's like, I'll just do a boring present because I don't want to pay for it myself. So that's great. Uh, but as we go through these Christmases, it's not just gifts that we start thinking about. We start thinking about the need for a break, the need for holiday, the need for rest, the need to slow down. Um, and we bring it upon ourselves, I think, because of how hard we go. Uh, and then we also have these other needs and wants, you know, depending on your family circumstances, the want and need either to see them and to really enjoy it, or the, the hope and the want for it just to not be a disaster, um, for, you know, terror not to happen on Christmas. Uh, and we come to this time longing, really. I think that Christmas is a season of longing, longing for fulfillment, longing for satisfaction, longing for rest, longing for intimacy. But what if, um, what if, as I said earlier, what if Christmas was cancelled and your holidays? <laughs> and you came into this season and you do all this stuff and you got all this stuff going, but you get nothing back in return. All this outlay, this whole year's gone out, but nothing comes back in as an input. Would you cope? How would you go? How would your body and soul feel at that time? See, often we can get distracted, not that any of those things are bad or longing for all those gifts, they're good, but we can get distracted thinking that true fulfillment and satisfaction is going to come from things outside of us coming in, material things, people things, holiday things. But what if, what if what we truly need and want is something that comes not from outside to be enjoyed, but from outside, right inside of us. So that no matter what circumstance happens this Christmas, whether all your wish lists come true and your family things and, and your holidays all work out, or they don't, what if there's an, a power and a love and a presence that you can experience that will give you satisfaction and contentment no matter what. Well, in this passage of Scripture, we get an insight into the Apostle Paul's life as he prays. And we're going to see when the Apostle Paul looks out on this church and thinks, what does this church need? He prays for two things that we may or may not have asked for if Paul didn't prompt us. We can often ask for lots of different you know, things. I want need this, I need this, help, 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 and they're all good. But Paul takes us to the heart of the matter and demonstrates what we truly need. And so to uncover this passage, I'm going to talk on two points today, two needs that Paul prays for. A prayer for power, point one, and a prayer for love. And to put it all together, I think what this passage really teaches us is that what we truly need is to be strengthened by divine power and to comprehend divine love. That's what we truly, desperately need. 
Because that will empower us and strengthen us no matter the circumstance. So let's dive into this prayer of Paul. Point number one, a prayer for power. Um, If we go back to chapter 3, if you've got your Bible there, and go back to verse 1, we see where Paul began. He he finishes chapters 1 and 2, and he's talking about these amazing spiritual blessings that God has chosen us, redeemed us. He's sending us to heaven. He's given us power. He's brought us from death in sin to life in Christ. He's united Jew and Gentile together. He's brought them together in the church and gathered them as a temple. God is doing an amazing plan. And then Paul says, for this reason, in verse 1, and he's about to pray, and then he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and he gets sidetracked. And he, and he wants to talk to the Ephesians about um, what's going on in his life and what God's been doing in him because he's currently in prison as he writes these words. So as, as I talk about what we truly need, this is not just you know, some guy in a plush you know, mansion saying, oh, what you need is divine power and divine love and slips another pina colada. No, he's in chains. As he writes the letter, there's literally a Roman guard chained to him in his writing arm, and he writes. And so he wants to encourage the Ephesians who are becoming downhearted uh, because their leader is in prison. You know, it's not the greatest way to follow your religion when your key leader is in prison. It doesn't look very powerful or very strong. And so in verses 1 through 13, he kind of encourages them what God's actually doing. His unstoppable plan is actually going forward through the chains that he's experiencing. Then we get back to verse 14, and Paul kind of, oh, well, he says in verse 13, sorry, this is, I wanted to share this. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So when we come to this prayer in verse 14, we have all of that as the context, all the blessings that they've experienced, and this heart that they bring of disheartenment, weariness, the need for power, the need for something to get through. And to be honest, um, this past couple of months, I'm resonating particularly with this passage. You know, normally I wake up and I'm like, it's, I'm ready to go. I love life. It's good to go. But I've been waking up and just feeling flat, uh, feeling, okay, again, I'll be going to bed. And I, oh, <laughs> give me help, Lord. And it's not because there's not been good things happening. I'm just not experiencing, I haven't been feeling that level of general zest and enthusiasm. And so I think for myself, this passage is going to help me. And, and perhaps for you, it will too. And so Paul jumps in and starts to pray for them and to explain what he really wants to see happen. So let's look at verse 14 together. Coming to his prayer now. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. So this prayer is not just a throwaway line for the Apostle Paul. He's not just tacking on a bit of prayer because it kind of fills out the letter, makes it seem a bit more spiritual. No, you can see in Paul's intentionality, he has a reason. For this reason, I'm praying. So it's not just random. He's got a particular thing he wants to see happen. Note too his intensity. He's praying on his knees, which was uncommon in his time. Um, You know, Jewish believers would pray standing, sometimes with their hands in the air. But to pray on your knees in that time was an extreme way to pray. Jesus prayed on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. Ezra prayed on his knees when they were rededicating the temple. So for Paul to be on his knees demonstrates how important, how vital, 
how indispensable he thinks this prayer is, how desperate he is for God to make it happen in their lives. Note to the intimacy in Paul's prayer. I bow my knees before the Father. You know, God is sovereign. He's all in control. But through Christ, we've learned through this book that he is your Father. And you're his child. And he loves you. And note too, finally, the inclusion from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Anyone can access this Father through Christ. No matter race, creed, culture, status, money, there's no barrier. So Paul begins this prayer, and I wanted to highlight that just to demonstrate this is not just in here. It's here for a reason. Of course, the Spirit inspired it. And John Stott um, you know, helpfully says this about prayer. One of the best ways to discover a Christian's chief anxieties and ambitions is to study the content of his prayers and the intensity in which he prays them. We all pray about what concerns us and are evidently not concerned about matters which we do not include in our prayers. Prayer expresses desire. So what does Paul desire for these believers? What does he think they desperately need? Well, the first thing he prays for is that they would be strengthened with divine power that they would be strengthened with the Holy Spirit's power. Read verse 16 through 17 and the first bit of 17. So, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, that's all of us and the Ephesians, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So his request is that they would have not this external power, but this internal power come unto them. We already read it earlier this morning about this power to understand that Christ's resurrection has happened and it's in us. But now Paul wants them individually to be clothed with power. Um, Who does the clothing with power? Well, he says the the Holy Spirit does it. He is the source of God's power in our lives. It's not like, you know, you have a couple more coffees and then that's the power. No, it's it's a power that only comes supernaturally. And where does it take place? Well, in our inner being, not our outer being. You see, they're weary. They need help. And maybe like God could just rewire their chemistry to make them feel a bit better and so they have like this, you know, physical high. But instead, Paul prays that they would have strength in their inner being. Not superhero abilities, but a spiritual power to do what only Christ can do for us. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says it like this, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Isn't this a beautiful reality that we experience through Christ? That no matter our outer self, our outer being, we can be renewed internally through the Spirit in a way that can't happen naturally. 
And then he kind of restates the same request in verse 17a. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he wants power in your inner being. And really, he's saying the same thing again. That power in your inner being is Christ dwelling in your hearts. How do you access it? Through faith. Not through money, not through being good, not through anything else other than believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. For Christ to dwell in our hearts means for Christ to take over the central reality of who we are. So Paul wants a power, a spiritual power to come in, renew their inner being, and take the seat of their heart so that their whole being is actually filled with the love of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, the desire to live for Christ. To overcome their sinful nature so that their desire is to live for God. Don't we all need that power? I need that power. And how do we know God's going to do it? Well, it's, it's according to the riches of his glory. He gives in accordance with his bank account. And God's bank account is endless and vast. The one who created the cosmos is able to strengthen us with such power. So what does this look like? You know, what does it look like spiritually to experience this? Maybe you don't know if you've ever, have I ever heard this? I don't know. You know, in some ways, I think it's that, it's sort of like spiritually experiencing, you know, when you've got your, have you got, has everyone used a Dyson vacuum cleaner or any vacuum cleaner, but particularly a Dyson being, you know, the most holy of all vacuum cleaners. And it has the, the normal power button, and you're like, oh, this is nice. I've got my cordless vacuum. And then you turn it on to max power, and you're like, what has gone on? You know, we're about to take off. I'm going to rip the carpet out of the house. And you think, how has this little box created so much power? I think that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I, I'm not expecting some just, but it's a spiritual power which comes. And you do things that you never thought you could do. And it's not, I'm not talking physical things. I'm talking spiritual things. And that power also comes with a presence. That the Spirit may renew your inner being and Christ would dwell in your hearts. That presence that enables you to trust and feel secure no matter the circumstance. It's like when you're in a scary situation. I don't know when your last one was. You're in a scary situation, but the presence of someone else halves the fear, halves the worry and the anxiety. Um, recently, I was out swimming at a beach, and you know when you're out the back and you're catching waves, and you're on your own, and you think, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Like, no one else is out here. <laughs> maybe there's sharks about. Maybe I'm about to die. But then when someone else is out with me out the back catching waves, I'm like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> They'll get eaten. Or it's like, whatever it is, you just think, okay, I must have been doing the total wrong thing because someone else is with me. Their presence, their, 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 their presence gives you power. I think that's what Paul's saying here, is that spiritually, we can access something where we go from normal to max, where we go from fearful to comforted, and it's only a gift of grace. It's an ability to do spiritually what you couldn't do naturally and an experience of his presence that is above and beyond your normal. That is what Paul says we need. So what does Paul want that to do in the 
Ephesians' lives. What does God want it to do in your life or my life this week? Well, I've already said that our real and greatest problems are actually not our external circumstances. Our real and greatest needs are not what is going on out in the world, but what is going on internally. So the internal is what will live forever, our soul and our being. And our greatest need is for our internal being through Christ to be empowered, to do what we couldn't do naturally. And I just want to touch on one thing that the Spirit does in this realm. One way that God seems to answer this prayer of spiritual power. And it's his ability to help us persevere in trials with joy. Only through God's grace and power can that happen. You see, it's one thing to physically survive through seasons of struggle. To get through and actually exist through it at the end of it. That's one thing. But it's a totally new and separate thing to get through a season of cloud and storm and darkness and trial and tempest and to do it with joy. And Paul himself knows this all too well, the man writing this from chains, from in prison. And I think what he wants for these Ephesians is amongst all their opposition, amongst all their inability and their weakness and their sin and their struggle, he wants them to know there is an ability for them to bear through it with joy. It looks like this. This is what the Spirit can do to you. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. That's us. We're a jar of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And Paul says this about himself. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. And then verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. It is possible to go through the storms and seasons of life with a power that enables you to persevere with joy, to rejoice through suffering, to have hope through hopeless circumstances, to have love for others, to still serve others, even when all you want to do is snatch at what you want for yourself. That is what this spiritual power can do in your life And my life. And I'm desperate for that kind of power. So pray this prayer for yourself. When the trial comes, when the storm rages, when the the waves go up and down, fall on your knees and pray. Strengthen my spirit through your spirit. Christ, dwell in my heart through faith. Give me this power that I need to get through. And when others around you are experiencing the storm and tempest of life, pray this prayer for them. This is what they desperately and truly need. It's not wrong to pray for radical circumstantial change. I'm all for that. Pray for miracles. Pray for release. Pray for blessing. But Paul demonstrates here our greatest need is for something internal to happen. 
Because the outside, the external may never change. Christmas may be cancelled, your holidays may go away, but you can have a power to persevere. What we truly need is to be strengthened with divine power. That's point number one. This power, though, is not just an internal um, reality. Paul also expresses that this power is actually here to help us comprehend something. And that leads us to point number two, a prayer for love. Would you look with me um, at the next verses, verses 17 through 19? That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend... See, this power flows in strength to comprehend what? With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The result of this power and presence in our life, Paul says in verse 17b, is that we would be rooted and grounded in love. If Christ would go all the way to the cross to save you and redeem you, then to make his presence dwell in you through his spirit, the reality is that you are rooted and grounded in love. Two beautiful illustrations, one botanical, one architectural for Shinu, um, the architect in the house. John Stott says it like this, These Christians are to be rooted and grounded, or to have deep roots and firm foundations. Thus, Paul likens them to a well-rooted tree and to a well-built house. In both cases, the unseen cause of their stability will be the same. Love. Love is to be the soil in which their life is to be rooted. Love is to be the foundation on which their life is built. A beautiful way of expressing it. The power and presence of God enables us to be rooted and established in love. God is love, 1 John 4. That's the reality in which we breathe, the atmosphere in which we live as those who trust in Christ. We live in love. And everything in our life is to be built on that firm and unshakable foundation. And so that is why Paul goes on to say, you need Verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You know, this love is the foundation of our life. And so Paul is now desperate for these Ephesian believers and us to understand the expansive, limitless nature of this love. This love is wide enough to embrace the entire world and last long enough for all eternity. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever, the width of love, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. And what is eternal life but to know God and to love him forever? We need the strength to comprehend the limitless nature of love that is wide and long and lasts forever. We need strength to comprehend a love high enough to take sinners to heaven and a love deep enough to reach us in our sin. 
Romans 8, 38 to 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that incredible? Those words are very difficult to understand and truly believe. And to actually, in the midst of trial and life, to think this is really true. And the fruit of, if we really believed it were true, we would live differently. And that's why we need the Apostle Paul. That's why we need the Spirit to help us to comprehend this love. Because if we truly understood it, when the trial come or when anything goes on in life, there would be a difference because we would know neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate me from the love of God. I have the eternal love of God that extends as far as the width of the world, as deep to all my sin, and it's for me. We need strength to comprehend such love. And where do we see this love? When we talk about love, love is a, you know, a term that gets thrown around in our culture that you know, love can be very sentimental. I can love a Slurpee at the same time as I can love my children. What, you know, like, how do you distinguish? Well, the Bible defines love for us. 1 John 4.10. We see the love of God most fully displayed at the cross of Christ. Read this with me. In this is love. It's not measured by this. It's not measured by that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, this broad love, this long love, this high love, this deep love, this love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge is most fully displayed on the cross of Christ. Where, as this verse says, the Son of God came and was made a propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means for the wrath of one to be appeased. So God has anger towards us for our sin because we've rebelled against him either outright or by totally ignoring him. And so God has a righteous and holy hatred against sin and in love, he sends his son to a cross so that he can pour out all of his righteous indignation onto Christ and appease his wrath by slaying his son that we may become children of God. That is what love is defined as. That is this love that surpasses all knowledge, that God would do that for you and for me. And to truly comprehend that, we need strength from God. It's a love that will never leave you nor let you down. Because he loved you at your worst and he went all the way. It's a love that seems too good to be true because Paul says it surpasses knowledge. Peter O'Brien says it like this, We can never plumb its depth or comprehend its magnitude. 
No matter how much we know of the love of Christ, how fully we enter into his love for us, there is always more to know and experience. Have you experienced this love? Are you experiencing the knowledge of this love right now? This is not an academic knowledge Paul is talking about here. This is a deep inner experience where you know at the core of your being and person that you are personally loved. Are you experiencing that love? Do you regularly pursue an experience of that love? It doesn't come about by magic. Suddenly you're walking down and boom, it happens. Paul is desperately praying for the believers to know this love because it doesn't happen by magic. It only comes through God's grace flowing to us and as we pursue him. So this Christmas, this this season, are you pursuing Christ and his love in your inner being? And do you want a love like this? If you're not yet following Christ, if you don't yet bend your knee and say, you are my Lord and King, you died in my place for my sin, do you want a love like this? A love that will never leave you. A love that will never forsake you. A love that will accept you in your current state. A love that will take you all the way home. A love that you probably don't even think you need. (laughs) But the Bible says you desperately need. The only way to access that love is through humbly coming to God and saying, please love me. Please forgive me. Please send your spirit into me. And any person on earth can do that at any time. And so may I commend to you, if you do not know this love and you want it, Humble yourself and come to Christ even today. What we need this Christmas and all the days of our life is not this external experience, but we need divine power and to comprehend divine love. And the result of that is what he says at the end of verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the result. That's what you experience, fullness of God in your being. I have no idea how that works. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, the fullness of God filling you. I, I, I don't have many words for that, but I'm just going to pray that God would somehow make someone in this room comprehend that and explain it to us at some point because the infinite, eternal, inexhaustible God dwelling in a finite human creature that doesn't deserve love, that's incredible. And finally, Paul ends this great prayer with the appropriate praise. Read verse 20 and 21 with me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There's much that we could say on these verses, but that is for another time. But I want to say, um, H.B. Charles has a good quote where he says, Sound doctrine begins and ends with doxology, which is what those verses are. It's a doxology from the word doxa, glory. Sound theology begins and ends with doxology. See, Paul began the letter in chapter 1, verse 3, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on and outlines one of the most incredible theological ideas in the next three chapters that you could ever read, and then ends with, Now to Him be all the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Theology begins and ends in praise of God. It's not just something to be studied. God is not to be studied and analyzed, but enjoyed. That's the end goal of all of our study. And so as we come into the end of this year, what we truly need is not some outer circumstantial change, though at times that would be fantastic, and please pray for that. But what we truly need is inner renewal a power that can only come from God to strengthen us with divine power, that we would experience His presence, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, and then that we would have the power to comprehend that love and know it in the depth of our being and live out of that experience in the way that we interact with people. That's what we need, brothers and sisters. That's what we need this Christmas. And that's what I believe God can give us if we ask. And I want to end by just commending you to expectantly pray this for yourself and pray this for others, trusting that God delights to answer this prayer. Spiritual power and divine love shed abroad in our hearts through Christ. To Him belongs all the glory, both now and forevermore. Would you pray with me? And then at the end of the service, if you need particular prayer because you are walking through a season, uh, then the core team will come up and there'll be people here to pray for you um, and with you. Uh, and we'll pray this prayer specifically into your circumstance and situation. Uh, but would you pray with me? And then we'll sing one final song, which itself is a prayer. Join me. God, I thank you that we have you. And you are all we need. It's hard to truly believe that in our depth of our spirit, that we don't actually need anything else. We may want, but we need you and you alone. Would you, by your grace, strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And Lord, I pray and ask that we would be rooted and established in love. And that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the length and breadth and height and depth of your love for us in Christ Jesus. A love that surpasses all knowledge. And to you may all the glory be forever. May we live lives in accordance with this truth. Empower us this day and this week. In Jesus' name we plead. Amen.